welcome to Downsizing Your Home and Life radio show, where it's all about finding ways to a clear path to stress-free downsizing in order for you to live your best life. Each week, we will discuss where to begin, how to select where to live, the best methods to sort and monetize your stuff, as well as the proper steps to valuing and listing your home in order for you to fast forward and start living your new life. Now, here is your host, Ann Nori, the downsizing coach, an experienced award-winning realtor, auctioneer, and personal property appraiser, bringing you much-needed information to help you navigate the steps of becoming financially whole as you successfully downsize your home and life. Megan Mon Miller to our Downsizing Your Home and Life radio show. Thank you so much, Megan, for being here on our episode about personal assets and appraisals. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Anne. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much. Megan is not only a friend, but she was also one of my instructors um, at the National Auctioneers Association for our appraisal uh, designation and course. She is a master personal property appraiser with a history, an art history, over 10 years as an MPPA and um, as well as a designated specialist at Julian's Auction House in Los Angeles, where you specialized in um, rock and roll memorabilia, Hollywood genre, and oh my goodness, the list of collections that you've handled, Greta Garbo, Bob Hope, Rolling Stones, Charlie Chaplin, James Dean, and of course the most famous dress that Marilyn Monroe wore a couple years ago. That auction was just absolutely incredible. And it's absolutely my honor to have you join us and educate us, myself, and our listeners to the process of choosing a personal property appraiser and, and uh, so forth. As we all know, many people seek a personal property appraiser while they're evaluating or potentially due to a loss of a loved one as part of an estate or due to a divorce or for insurance purposes. And of course, we've got those that just want to know a value of an item. Megan, tell us what the process would be one to evaluating the items as well as selecting the personal property appraiser. Yes, those are big, <laughs> big so let's, let's, so like, let's just unpack it. So I, I kind of feel like it's a once in a lifetime experience for a lot of people right. and they go into it and it's like a doctor. Doctors know what they're doing. So all the appraisers know what they're doing. And we really, um, the United States, uh, the government really has gotten involved in saying, hey, here are some qualifications that appraisers need to have. And I have a checklist, actually, that I use to just help clients out to say what to look for in an appraiser. Right. So if you had household contents and, you know, shelves of books and and things, you're probably not going to come to me because that's not my day-to-day. My day-to-day is more archives of collections. So if you had... A collection of Rolling Stone handbills and tickets and things definitely give me a call but not all appraisers are created equal that way correct so if you find an appraiser in your area of in their area of expertise for your particular problem and then they decide an appraiser will say okay what what do we need this for if it's insurance you know that's one 
process maybe, and if it's a state and if it's a different one. And so an appraiser is gonna come in, they're gonna look at your collection, they're gonna do an inspection, they're gonna photograph and measure and figure out the condition of your items, and they're gonna take that information back to their office and research. So it's not like Antiques Roadshow. They're not gonna walk through the house and say, oh yes, this is this, and it costs, uh, you know, at an auction it will go for that. They might do that. They might be that familiar with the items to do that. But primarily, they're going to take the inf information they gather and go back to their office and look for the most current data. Correct. A sales lot of the data, right? That's sales data. Sales data, yes. So okay. if, again, it depends. It's very annoying to talk, talk uh, to appraisers because we always say, oh, it depends. So depending <laughs> on your situation, we're going to do some sales comparison and look at okay, these shelves of books, just everyday kind of books, probably uh, $50, whatever it is, and compile a report giving you your bottom line for your family or for your divorce or, or whatever you're working on. Exactly. So I think one of the biggest takeaways for our listeners should be that an appraisal is really someone's opinion based on the information that they've collected, as well as the professional opinion that they have formed while conducting their research and putting the facts and data together. So it's really one person's opinion in that specific point in time. And a, a research, obviously, an, um, an appraisal has a specific date of use. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you were saying, so now they've, they've formed an opinion, they have a report and talk to me about the report and what that qualifications of that checklist might look like while individuals are selecting that appraiser. Right. So you want to find an appraiser who is in most cases, it depends, but you want to find an appraiser who is aligned with some sort of organization, whether it be the International Society of Appraisers, the National Auctioneers Association. I mean, there are, there are many. Because appraisers' bottom line, as far as competency and a good appraiser from a bad appraiser, what would their peers do in that same situation? So you want to have someone who knows what the industry standards are right. and then we have this government piece that i won't go into because it'll use tap <laughs> uh it's called uniform standards of professional appraisal practice right. and it's set up to keep public trust in the appraisal right. industry and you want to find an appraiser who is following that and i'll tell you why if God forbid you are in a divorce situation and you've each had your own appraiser come in mm -hmm. and this appraiser is, you know, they're an antique dealer and they're very well versed in their retail sale numbers that they put on their items out on the right. shelf and their report is just, just that. And then the other person has gotten an appraiser who follows USPAP, who's involved in an organization, who can stand up on the stand and will shred this appraiser's report because they haven't gone by the industry standard. So it's, it's looking for that accountant who, you know, similar to looking for that accountant who has gone to school and knows what they're doing, or, you know, my brother's cousin who's really good with math. There you go. Kind of the difference. 
So the report, the appraisal is obviously a documented legal document, right? That has formed opinion in it and it is, it has gone through a process. There is, if it's a use PAP compliant report that has been formed, uh, we have individuals that you might dedicate the use and identify who has accessibility to that report and so forth. But you know, while creating that document, while creating that report, research goes into it, time goes into creating it, and uh, it becomes an instrument that is used in a professional setting, whether it's in a court setting or whether it's used for insurance purposes or whether it's used for a basis of somebody wanting to hire even an auctioneer or an auction house that they might say, okay, here are the process of what we might need. So for different purposes, um, an, an appraisal report might be necessary for different purposes. But talk to me about the different types of value that you are using within the appraisal report and what each different type of value is used for. Right, so we've just mentioned one with that antique dealer, we'll go back to that person, who is placing items out for sale at a retail price, right? So for instance, if you had a Ming vase and it was broken and you through insurance needed to have it replaced, it's gonna be a retail price, right? right? Which might be a little higher. People might ask more because it's not, it's something that needs to be immediately replaced. Not something you can wait around for the best deal. As far as all of the different types of value, there are ad nauseum, you know, we've got retail replacement, we've got- Fair market value. Market value, fair market value. Fair market value, right. Just goes on and on. But what I, more important than that, because that is a piece that your appraiser is going to work with you. They're, they're going to talk to your insurance agent and find out right. what sort of value they're looking for. Or they know if it's for the IRS, it's going to be fair market value. I just want to insinuate into the conversation that what might be more helpful for your listeners is to think about the difference between cost, price, and value. Okay. So as appraisers, we're giving you, on our report, different values. These are our opinions based on all these other elements that we've been talking about, the use, the value definition, all those things. So that's an opinion. Value is an opinion. That antique dealer has a price listed. Now, I could come in and say, oh, you want $10 for that vase? I'll give you five. And the, and the antiques dealer might say, well, let's go seven. So that's negotiable. That price is negotiable. Cost is what I actually end up paying. And this is important for people who are curious about the value of their items. Because right. go on first dibs or they go on eBay and say, oh, well, it's worth $10,000 because this person's asking $10,000. And we've just established that's the price they want to get. But that might not be what the ultimate cost of the item is. So you do need to think about that. Right. In, especially for people who have a big collection of things they've lovingly purchased over the years, beautiful furniture that fits their home. And lately it's been furniture that I think is the biggest disappointment for people because the value didn't increase that that they maybe hoped, that opinion of that didn't increase, and the cost to purchase that now, what I'm actually putting down in money, 
is going to be a lot less. So I hope I explained that correctly. Absolutely. You did. Thank you so much. So again, but, but, but the most common types of value are fair market value, which would be used for estate purposes if you're if you're having a, an appraisal written for an estate. If it's for insurance, it's typically going to be replacement cost value, correct? Well, yes, but it also could be the diminished value cost if you have your insurance company, if you have something and it's been damaged, what you might get to still keep the item, but what the lesser value or what the impact on the price or the value of the item is now. So as I say, there's just so many. Anything dealing with the IRS is fair market value because it's hypothetical. You're probably not going to actually sell it. I generally use market value in my appraisals because there isn't always retail replacement value for Marilyn Monroe's dress. You can't go back out. (laughs) <laughs> and buy. So we're just saying, hey, what if this is damaged, if it's gone, if it's lost, right. what have I lost and how can we make that person whole again? Right. Um, that Those are all great points. And of course, many different types of uses, value, the types of reports that individuals might need and request an appraisal. And of course, how would someone want to, what would your recommendation be for somebody who's just curious? They might've inherited an item and everyone's curious of the value. What right. is your suggestion on those sorts of things and where should they start? And, and identifying, should they have an appraisal done or should they not? What, what are the questions they might ask themselves? I think the question they can ask themselves is what's their goal? Because a lot of times those inherited items, they don't maybe want to keep it for themselves. So a lot of times when people come to me and say, well, I'm just curious. I just want to know what it's worth. Just great. I love, I love these questions. Right. It's generally because they want to sell. And in that case, you don't want to go through the process of having a 25 page document for your one item to get an appraisal. You can, Mm -hmm. and I often do as an appraiser, provide a valuation service. That's just consulting my experience in the auction house. I can tell you what the conservative auction estimate might be for that item. But if you're really interested in selling, you can bypass the appraiser and go right to the auction houses that deal with those types of items. It's just going to be easier for you. But if you're ambitious, if you're motivated to find out for yourself what these items are worth, there are resources. I see a lot of people going to eBay. And again, that's where we get, here's what they're asking for, but they might not get it. And there might be 10 similar items, all the same thing that have varying prices on ebay there is a filter where you can push the little button that says sold so you want to see just the sold listings or completed completed can mean it didn't sell it just the time ended there is a paid service if you get really interested in researching Mm -hmm. called worth point and that's an aggregate that takes all of ebay's past sales, as well as other auction houses that sell maybe higher end items. So that might be where you research. Auctioneers and appraisers like to tell people is if you want to know how much it's worth, sell it. And whatever someone pays for it is what it's worth. Market value, yeah. So you can, of course, always go and try to 
auction these items yourself on a platform like eBay for the property that I work with, mm -hmm. because there's so much fraud, it's a fraud industry. I like to say that eBay is probably not the best platform, especially if the value of the items is over a thousand dollars. Megan, I just want to clarify what you were talking about for our listeners. Great. Because you have such specialized inventory and items and collectibles that you represent and work with, there's a lot of authentication that has to go into the process, provenance checking. And when you talk about fraud, it's just making sure that the history, the items, if someone says this is, you know, uh, a dress worn by Monroe, Marilyn Monroe, you have the, uh, you go through the history, you have the documentation to make sure that it really is what it is versus just putting something out there. Um, there's a lot of due diligence. There's a lot of history that you go to and through to create that. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to share that even though appraisers are an appraiser of value, appraisers are not authenticators. So sometimes appraisers also have to, even though you worked at an auction house, that was a different scope than a traditional appraiser. When they go in and value an item, they're not necessarily uh, able to be the authenticator. So we might have to hire an expert if you know authenticity is ever questioned. We have to bring a different expert in to help collaborate on the project. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the IRS is a great example. If you are, so the situations where you'd be dealing with the IRS are donation, estates, anything where you're going to have a benefit or a penalty. And they actually require that the items be authenticated. So either the appraiser is competent to say, I have no reason to doubt the authenticity of these pieces or will say, I brought in a Warhol expert or I consulted with a Warhol expert or a Picasso expert to determine that this item is either authentic or not authentic. And man, that's tough. We do not <laughs> want to disappoint our clients. But if you have a piece and you find out that it's not authentic, in some way, well, in many ways, you're saving the client because this might be you might be penalized with tax or over insuring items that you're paying for the insurance. Right. We're not out to break anybody's heart. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's, it's important to understand that there are different experts that specialize in the different segments of the appraisal and authentication process. And it's, uh, it's incredibly important and, and very, you know, detail oriented. And at the same time, for example, my background was in furniture, decor, design, and manufacturing. So I'm very comfortable in, in, in the genre of furniture and decor. Now put baseball cards in front of me. Obviously that is not my history. So uh, you know, appraising an, a baseball card collection may not be necessarily some, a project that I would accept. And perhaps I would refer to a colleague who has a history in sports, you know, uh, memorabilia and sports collections, right? So it's important to look at an appraiser and the specialty that they specialize in and the category that they're trained in. And you've just hit on a very important topic as far as appraisers go. We're kind of all in league with each other, right? Like we know each other. If I can't do your appraisal because I don't do decorative, I know Ann Nuri and she can help you out. And right. I'm always happy to refer on. And, and that's what, when you go to an appraiser that is well-versed right. 
we have a network. We have right. a group behind us. So that's another really important point. We might not be able to do all of the items in your appraisal, but we'll know who can. We know who can and who the right fit is for, you know, to be done properly and for you to have the most proper valuation done on your items. I mean, it's such a broad category, but it's so important and it's such a stressful component for so many individuals while they're considering their downsizing process um, of what do I do first? How do I figure out what do I keep? What do I donate? What do I sell? And in those scenarios, I mean, I, I you know, to clients, I'm always uh, guiding them on the phone, make an appointment, do a walkthrough with a qualified individual, whether that's an auctioneer that's qualified to do that, uh, whether it's uh, an appraiser that you would like to have brought in and help you with evaluating your collection and your items. Uh, so there's two different categories. Obviously, we have the traditional normal household content type of things that's going to have items sprinkled in. For example, we're in the Washington, D.C. area. And I walked into a home, I was conducting an open house and uh, a neighbor stopped by and said, you know, we hit it off. She said, would you, I'm thinking about moving to Florida. We're building a property there. And in the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to be moving to Florida. Can you stop by and visit? I said, sure. So about five o'clock, I went to their home and, you know, I was touring the property and, you know, she was more into the real estate and something caught the corner of my eye on the bookshelf. And I asked her, I said, oh, isn't that, she said, those are all the giveaways. I said, giveaways, what, you know, what are you talking about? She's like, well, my daughter's friend is a realtor and she had stopped by and said, none of these things should be in the home while you start to think about selling. So you should donate all those pieces. And I said, would you mind if I take a look at it? And gently I walked over and picked it up and I said, can I ask you, where did you acquire this Asian vase? And she said, oh, that was a pair. It didn't fit in the box that the Salvation Army took. Thump, thump. I turned it over and it was a valuable Asian collection that you know she had brought back. And I said, the next question, where did you acquire this? And she said, my husband was in the military and he served overseas. And these are some of the things he and his buddies would go traveling on the countryside. And they brought back a collection of items. And I thought, do I tell her that this could be, a, if they were a pair, they could easily be worth anywhere between, I don't know, 15 to $20,000? Or do I say, oh my goodness. So it's important to have an understanding of the items that, that you are considering and what the provenance might be. And don't believe what everyone's telling you that all of the stuff out there has no value. That's another big takeaway I want our listeners to understand and really take in. What would be your feedback about that? There are so many similar situations in, in the realm of my work. That old scrapbook, and it's just handbills and old concert tickets, and we're just, you know, we're giving it to the grandkids, or we're throwing it away, or whatever. There's value in those items. I mean, again, it depends. It's not across the board. But there are a lot of items that just get overlooked, that are collectible for other people, that nostalgia for our youth and right. what music we were into then. I know as 
from the auction side, mm -hmm. auctioneer will walk into a house and see a bunch of bookshelves or a bunch of yearbooks on the bookshelves. And they're like, oh, no one wants yearbooks. Well, I'm from Minnesota. So say you went to Hibbing High School and you have happened to go to Hibbing High School with Robert Zimmerman, Bob Dylan, the future of Bob Dylan. <laughs> his uh, yearbook is, is worth money. And it's, especially if it's signed. So there's things like that where you just have to know, you have to be speaking to someone who knows maybe the geography, the right. regional market, right. things like, especially in your area, Washington, DC, there's probably, I mean, a lot of auto pen signed things from presidents. And yes. then personal notes that friends write to one another that maybe it's from one of the bushes, you know, it might have value for someone. Absolutely. So let me ask you, what has been the most interesting collection or item that you've had the opportunity to evaluate or appraise? Right. Unfortunately, my client, as an appraiser, my clients, it's very confidential. As an auctioneer, I like to give an example, and it might be a strange example for other people. When you work with celebrity memorabilia or celebrities, that shine of celebrity kind of right. is a little thin. You know, they're human beings. Right. Human beings with a lot more money than me <laughs> uh, and staff and all of that, but they're human beings. And those items that are just a little bit of human touch in the Greta Garbo collection... I like to sew and she liked to sew. She would change the on her outfits to, to make it more to her liking and, you know, nip and tuck things. And she had these great notion boxes filled with the same things that are in my notion boxes, buttons, and needles, and it just showed that personal side. Right. So those are the items that really always caught my eye. Just little bits of, oh, you're just like me. <laughs> that is really neat. Um, and that is a true scope of the insight that one has when you go, when you have the honor. I, I always consider it an honor when we get called in to work on someone's estate. And, you know, it's just, it, it really gives you as this chronicle of someone's life with, within 50, 70 years. And, and you have the opportunity to kind of go through it and see who they were and who they become and the history that is there and how it's all boxed up in a corner. But at the same time, it's incredible. It's amazing to see. And I really just encourage everyone to take a moment and really go through the items carefully, open their minds, connect with the right experts. Megan is available for you. I'm available for you. Visit the Downsizing Home and Life Radio, meganmonmiller.com for your appraisal needs and, and reach out and we would be happy to answer your questions, to be able to guide you in a direction, if we can, of best practices of perhaps what you might need to do. Having a single item is very different than having a collection. Sometimes there's different genres and different types of items in a collection and what might be the best approach or the best person. If you let us know, regardless of where you're located nationwide, we would be able to help you and direct you because our network is vast and uh, we just want to make sure that everyone has the best opportunities available to them in the marketplace as possible. So, I mean, it's, it's just such a fascinating subject, 
Megan. And I do want to take one last moment and talk about what we said was the frightening part of uh, the appraisal side, and that is the USPAP part. If you can kind of talk to our audience about the education required and the upkeep and, you know, what's required for an appraisal appraiser to be up to date on their education, to be able to write the best report. Right. And up to date is the salient point there. Uh, So the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice apply to both real estate appraisers and personal property appraisers, but they are slightly different. So let's talk about the personal property side. In order to be compliant, there's no certification at the USPAP level. If anyone tells you they're certified USPAP, they need to go back to class. (laughs) That's the instructor and her speaking. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You conform to these these standards and, and definitions and guidelines. So As I said before, the purpose of USPAP is to instill a trust in appraisers. And the way that you do that is education. 15 hours is required for your introduction to USPAP. You take a 15-hour class and there's a test at the end. And you either pass the test or you don't. If you don't pass the test, you need to take the course again. Intense. USPAP standards is complicated and intense. (laughs) You definitely need a good instructor to kind of connect the... You know, the variations and the different requirements, it, it really, the first go that you have at USPAP, it's quite a, ooh, it's a lot of content. If you think, I, I want you to think about it as a living document because it is updated every two years. So if I took the 15 hour class in 1974, I'm not going to be compliant with what's happening now because every two years right. we go to a seven hour update. And if you think the USPAP class was tough and I'm now taking the class to teach the class of USPAP, and that's also intense, but it's not, USPAP itself is not complicated. It is a set of rules that should be followed. And I think what is important for your listeners to know, because the minutia of, of that is intense, as appraisers, we're signing off on this document saying, I'm not biased. I have right. no dog in this appraisal fight. Right. Which is especially helpful in contentious estate or divorce situations. We're not advocating for anybody. That's also a big push in USPAP. We're not advocates. Yeah. We're simply dealing with data. So on my report, I'm saying I'm not biased. No one paid me to say a certain number, that a certain value for your items. My, there's a series of certifications like this where we promise to you and we sign off with our signature that says we are not getting financially compensated inappropriately for this appraisal. And I am not biased in any way. And that's, I think what you're listeners need to know because even now sometimes people contact me and say well we kind of need this to be on the high side I don't care what you need I mean that's really harsh but I don't I don't I'm only working with the asset and I'm working with the the data and when you disagree with your appraiser that's the point 
where you're going to find out if your appraiser is a good appraiser or not, because they'll be able to show you the data and say, listen, here's the sales data. Here's based on my experience, what happens in the market. It's, it's not me. Right. I'm, I'm not trying to ruin your day or make your day. It's, right. it's my job. Here's what the research has shown. And this is what they have produced in their work file to create that living document that they've created. So it really is important, but the gist of uh, our explanation about USPAP, the importance of making sure uh, that you, the appraiser that you choose to hire is USPAP compliant and that they're up to date with their education. That was the purpose of us really trying to educate you about the importance of USPAP and how it's used and so, so forth. And as well as their special qualifications and certifications for IRS reports and so forth that go above and beyond that, especially for donation items and so forth. This is such a fascinating topic and there's just so much to it and so many different avenues and so many different types of appraisals and, and so forth. I do wanna talk about very quickly about jewelry appraisals specifically. I know that's a topic that's very frequent. We receive a ton of phone calls about jewelry appraisals. What would you tell a listener that might have some jewelry that they are considering getting appraised, whether for insurance or for an estate? It's, yeah, that is interesting because jewelry is its own subset and its own right. world. And so if we're talking about qualifications, right. having someone who is gone through training through GIA, right. the GEMS Institute of America. America, yeah. You know, yes, obviously not my, <laughs> not my specialty. You want to look for those qualifications. It's not something every appraiser does. Right. I have a disclaimer on my website. I don't do jewelry, coins, or stamps. These are even more specialized. Thank you. Those are the three areas that are highly specialized and you need someone who's uh, very experienced on a day-to-day -day basis in those genres as well as who has the special certification and training especially for the jewelry that can measure you know different components, weight, quality, uh, the three C's obviously when it comes to gemstones and so forth it's very highly involved so having someone that might appraise jewelry might be very different than someone who appraises a car collection antique car collection is very different than the person who's going to appraise a memorabilia collectible collection to someone who might be appraising uh, you know home decor and furniture so we want to go ahead uh, I was just gonna say but again feel free to contact any appraiser that is a well-versed and they'll be able to connect you right. with help. absolutely absolutely well this has been very informative thank you so much megan for taking the time to join us this afternoon on a discussion with our viewers we would love to have you on again and continue the dialogue we can't wait for you guys to share with us any questions that you have and, and I know that you're going to make it available to our listeners, the checklist on your website for qualifications, and we'll also have it posted on our site. Uh, but please go ahead and visit Megan or, or give either of us a call uh, if you have any questions or if we can guide you. The, again, the intention is to simplify the process to help you get on your journey of, of turning the page to your new goals 
and uh, in your downsizing journey and simplifying the process and just making one that is enjoyable instead of painful. I think that's our mission for you on a day-to-day basis. And we would like to, and that's why we're bringing you content to answer any questions that you might have on downsizing your home and life radio. Megan, do you have any closing comments for our listeners before we part? Just to piggyback on what you were just saying, we want to take away that problem. And so we take on the weight of dealing with it and try to take it out of your hands. It's like having a good plumber. I don't want to have to worry about why my toilet isn't working. You don't have to want to worry about what the process for your appraisal is. We really want to take that off of your to-do list and your worrying. So, and my- Yeah website is www.monmiller.com. That's M-A-H-N-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. And we would love for you to please like, share, and give us feedback and subscribe, of course. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And we look forward to our next conversation with you. Wishing you a blessed day. Thank you again, Megan, for joining us. We're going to be signing out. Thank you. Wishing you a blessed day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Downsizing Your Home and Life radio show. It would mean the world to me if you clicked to subscribe to our show so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Please share our link with friends who may also be considering the downsizing journey and leave us a rating and review so that we know how well we are doing. For more resources, visit thedownsizingcoach.com. Wishing you great success in planning your steps to living your best life. I look forward to greeting you on our next show.